can we create the Nicorette for sugar? Yeah. A lot of our diet and nutrition, unfortunately, is driven by what you can afford. Yeah. There's a reason why some fast food restaurants are having record quarter after quarter results. Because when you now offer a $5 meal for your family, you can't buy that in a grocery store. And as a Bush, Nike, Microsoft, Samsung, Coca-Cola, were our big clients, mm -hmm. um, 200 plus person agency. I'll say this, there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, what we call poly sugars that exists in the UK mm -hmm. at a level that I've never seen before in both Canada and the US. Wow, I'm pretty shocked about that. <laughs> are, are you? I only drink oat milk. You only drink oat milk, so no dairy at all. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. Let's live to extremes here. Um, yeah, I, I think- I, About a millisecond, I was like, okay, so uh, <laughs> where do we go with this one? I'm... Sorry, I just remember the quote from Jim Carrey. <laughs> what is it? It's, it's you can you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well do what you love, and, that, and that's kind of you reminded me of. One hundred percent. I think part of entrepreneurship is just being nimble. You realize the people that really matter in your life right now, that circle should be a very tight circle. And as I think about like what keeps me up is are my parents happy? Are they healthy? How are my sisters doing? One in New Zealand, one in Toronto. Uh, is my team happy in the work that they're doing? Uh, am I finding joy every day waking up doing what I'm doing? Because if you don't, why are we doing this? Uh, this is what Babylon is about. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Babylonia Media and our very first podcast series, The Entrepreneur's Experience. When they're starting off on their journey, entrepreneurs love being surrounded by other creative and energetic people working in flexible workspaces. So it's very appropriate that this series is sponsored by SpaceMade. SpaceMade transforms buildings to create enjoyable and immersive working spaces for entrepreneurs and remote workers alike. We in Babylonia have a space at one of the locations and have found it a great environment to work in. SpaceMade has accessible workspaces throughout the UK. Check them out at www.spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Entrepreneur's Experience, brought to you by Babylonia Media. I'm your host, Michael Smith. Let me start by thanking our sponsors, SpaceMade. SpaceMade is a property company focused on transforming buildings for landlords to create innovative and immersive workspaces. Today, we are joined by Sean Byrne, CEO and co-founder of SweetKick. SweetKick is a health and wellness brand dedicated to helping America and the wider world soon control their daily sugar cravings and live a healthier, low-sugar lifestyle by providing... So I read this. It's an IU verd something or another. There's a Hindi term for... for Sugar destroyer. Do you know this? Kumara. Is that what it's called? And that's yeah. the basis of, of the original product, or Genema. the rituals. Genema is the name of the, the actual herb. Brilliant. Okay, fine. So, so I By guess. Way, I need to give you kudos. You're the 20% that actually gets my last name correct. Burn. Well, well done. Is, is, is it part Irish? It's 100% Irish. There you go. <laughs> Bloody Europeans, we know what we're doing. Um, got, so, go on. T tell, me, tell me about the, the origination of, of the product, first of all. Yeah, so I think we were just chatting a little bit. Um, we were, it was great. The world has a bit of a sweet tooth problem. They and do. And it's fascinating as, as a Canadian who lives in the US, seeing the habits and behaviors of nutrition in America is a bit of an eye opener. Mm -hmm. And the whole origin, the origin of the product and the story really got started with my business partner and I, uh, a gentleman by the name of Harley Pasternak. He's a personal trainer in Los Angeles. He's been doing it for 20 plus years. Everyone in the entertainment business has basically gone through his gym at one point in time. And as I moved to California and started to get to know Harley and hang out with him, I realized this amazing juxtaposition. And one end, he's working out with some of the most famous celebrities and helping them with their nutrition and their fitness programs. And then we walk to get coffee and he throws back two large chocolate chip cookies. 
And I was like, where is this coming from? Yeah, but big, big oxymoron, I guess. Massive oxymoron. And so his personal story is he grew up in a family of type 2 diabetics. Or sorry, type 1 diabetics. Mm-hmm. And so sugar was a forbidden fruit in his family. Sure. And as he grew up, it became this, this hidden secret that he kept from everyone. Because underneath his desk in his office is chocolates and cookies and candies, et cetera, et cetera. And so I became enamored with how did this start and why did it develop? And is this a common problem that a lot of your clients have? And how big of a problem is this in the U.S.? And all of a sudden you start to look at the numbers, 80 million plus pre-diabetics in America, 50 million plus type 2s, 60% of the population being overweight, uh, according to your BMI. And a lot of it just has to do with what we're putting into our bodies, both beverage-wise and food-wise. And so it came to the notion of, can we create the nicorette for sugar? Yeah. Okay. No different than yeah, smoking, yeah. which is an addiction, uh, to, <clears throat> to nicotine. Can we do the exact same thing, develop a tool that's plant-based to help change your habits and behaviors? Right, okay. And, and what exactly is the product, if, if you could... Like what is the tangible product? It's, it's obviously it's a powder format? It's actually two products. So what we created was the 14-day sugar reset. Um, the first thing is what we call a body, ba- body balance powder. And what that is is prebiotic fiber, minerals, and vitamins that you use first thing in the morning. And the insight there is um, as, for, as we sleep, we've essentially been fasting for six, seven, eight hours of the night. When we wake up, our blood sugar levels are extremely low. Mm-hmm. What that means is our body needs a jolt. And in the US, 60% of Americans consume their recommended intake of sugar by 10 a.m. Because of all the sugary cereals in general. It's the cereals, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the muffins, it's what we're putting to our coffees, mm-hmm. it's the low fat yogurt that's loaded with sugar. Mm-hmm. And why that matters is because as we consume all these, we have a spike in blood sugar now. And it happens around 10 a.m. Then all of a sudden we've got a crash at noon and then we have a spike and then we have a crash. And you try to accomplish these crashes by drinking a cola, eating a piece of chocolate, whatever it might be. And so by balancing your blood sugar levels first thing in the morning and the fiber helping from a satiety perspective, now we're starting off the, bright, the morning in the right way. It's unflavored, you put in your morning coffee, super easy to do. And then the hero product that everyone loves are our sugar control mints. So it's a regular mint, it's spearmint flavored, you pop it in, suck it like a lifesaver, and essentially anything you eat and or drink that's high in sugar or sweeteners um, are gonna taste terrible. Yeah. Uh, and so we've removed the taste of sweetness from that food. And why that's important now is, now we've created a relationship that isn't a positive one anymore. Okay, yeah, If you yeah. love that cola, now that doesn't taste very good. More importantly, you're not releasing dopamine to the brain after consuming something sweet. And so your brain's not saying, I want another one. And the problem isn't the first cookie. The problem is the sleeve of cookies. It's the entire bag of chocolates you eat. And, and so what we're doing now is we're creating a change in habits and behaviors using the sugar control mints. Hence the 14 days, because that's supposedly about how long it takes to, to kick a habit, right? We want people to start off on the right path. So the whole notion of kicking habits in 21 days or forming a new habit in 21 days, there really isn't any empirical science to actually support that anymore. Sure. So what we want to do is give um, an individual essentially two weekends, two weeks worth of a program attached to reducing themselves to healthy fats, to fibers, to proteins, and then using these tools to help support them when cravings happen. What we loved about the premise of this entire project is in a day and age in which we, we live in extremes, paleo, keto, vegan, vegetarian, all these diet philosophies, no one can really agree on what's the best for you. Sure. But all of them can agree that sugar's the devil. 
Yeah, 100%. And so all we want to be is not a diet. This isn't about a diet. This is about being a tool in your personal toolbox as to how you live your life. Like you can be a vegan and you love cycling in the morning and you walk 10,000 steps. Those are incredible things. But if you want to live a low sugar lifestyle because you philosophically believe that sugar is bad, then we have something for you. And that's kind of the whole the whole premise. Yeah, I, I get that. And just touching more on the 14 day thing, uh, 14 day thing just generally sort of suppressing uh, your cravings and obviously getting in the right habits. I noticed you talked, I think it was on your website, you talked about, we believe big changes start with, with small incremental yeah. uh, habits, right? Yep. Could, could you elaborate on that? Because it's, I, just so you know, I find that so interesting. I think it's so on point. Yeah. I think there's so many other areas of life you can relate, relate that to. Habits of exercise, habits of alcohol, all that sort of thing. So it really rings, rings a big bell for me. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to hear more about that on your side. Change is daunting. New job, going on a diet, moving, whatever it is. And when it comes to nutrition, making a shift left or right sometimes feels overwhelming to people. I always say this, our goal isn't to have you consume no sugar altogether. It's not about cold turkey because that's impossible for 99% of us, including me. The goal here is how do we get you to cut back on the amount of sugar you're putting in your body? And why that's important is if you drink three colas a day, I want you to act to two. And by removing just that one cola a day, we've now taken away 45 grams of sugar. Over the course of one year, that's 45 pounds of sugar that you didn't put in your body. You line up the bags and it's a, it's a daunting visual, but just that small change is making a pretty yeah, big difference. Yeah, it's a great illustration though. Yeah. Um, unbelievable illustration. Yeah. So it, that whole notion of let's just start here first. And then all of a sudden when you realize, oh, I'm, I don't need the third one anymore. Maybe I'll cut down to one and get rid of the second. And over time, and that feels more feasible. It feels doable. Mm -hmm. It feels something that's approachable, which Short I think is really goals important. all the time basically work. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So you said yourself, you still obviously consume sugar. Yeah, you're at the really, really back end of it. You tend to avoid it pretty much every day. I've now gone to the point where or, my- or sorry, I, sorry to cut you off a late. Or is there a particular strategy you have where you, you have your cheat day or whatever it may be? I don't believe in the philosophy of cheat days. Um, I think it's a slippery slope for a lot of people and people can't control when to turn on and off cheat days. So I don't adhere to that philosophy. I've gotten to the point where my body feels like it's allergic to sugar now. It's so used to not consuming sugar. I don't drink coffee in the morning. Um, I don't drink cola, et cetera. I never really did. But the moment I have a piece of chocolate cake or a glass of wine, et cetera, the next day I'll feel almost like a sugar hangover because um, my body is used to not having this essentially addiction, this chemical in my body. And it's an interesting scenario, but that's not for everyone. Like it's, it's not about cutting back altogether, mm -hmm. but for the folks that are truly consuming too much on a daily basis, uh, how do we get people coming from, again, that three cola scenario down to that two cola down to the one cola? And once you get down to that one cola scenario, you become addicted now to how you feel without sugar. I, that's literally what I was thinking. I was actually, the next question I was going to ask when you say you have the hangover, that's what's great, right? If you, if you retract the, the sugar intake so much, once you get to a certain stage, you actually start to regret it. It's this aha moment that you, have, you eventually have, which is, I've got a lot of energy in the afternoon now. Where did this come from? I sleep so much better at night. How did this happen? Uh, I don't reach for that cola and a chocolate bar anymore. Oh my God, that feels good. And the notion of allowing people to take back control of a thing they felt completely out of control of during certain times of the day. Um, my mom's a great example, addicted to Diet Coke. Uh, she only has one a day, yeah. but it's her vice. 
and she hates her vice. And as we're going through the R&D of the product, she was my, my guinea pig. Cool, and if I could get my mom off of Diet Coke, or at least have her pull back from drinking seven a week to three a week, then I knew we were onto something because she now felt so much better about herself not being a slave to the fridge at three o'clock every single day. And it's just an interesting, again, aha moment for individuals when they feel like they've got power back to how they're thinking and choosing what they're putting into their bodies. Do you, um, apart from what you're doing, what are you, I'm assuming you're pro sort of stuff like sugar tax here in the UK, we have that a lot. Is yeah. there other ways that, are there other things that you care about that you think could, could be really useful to redu reducing sugar when it is just almost wild how much sugar is in certain products? So it's, it's fascinating. I think being here in the UK, visiting the Salisbury's, the Waitrose's of the world, um, you're unfortunately a habit of the situation and of the environment that you're being placed in. Mm -hmm. Walking into your grocery stores, the amount of, the size of your candy and chocolate aisle is something I've never seen before. <laughs> so we're, we're worse than, than the US. In a lot of ways, yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. Never would have thought that. Never ever would have thought that. That's, that's shocking. And honestly. so my takeaways, I look at the grocery stores here, there's kind of three things that are really interesting. Number one is the amount of pre-prepared food. Um, things that you pop into the oven quickly or the microwave yeah. that sits in the cold shelf. Sure. That so, so you talk about the savory pre-prepared stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those foods don't have a lot of great ingredients in it. Yeah. Right. Sugars and salts are quite hard to maintain. Sugars, salts, yeah. wrong carbohydrates, etc. The second is the chip and the chocolate and the candy aisle. It's half the grocery store. You guys love the chips and you love the chocolates up here. It's rooted in the culture because of the tea culture here. Yeah, yeah, right? very much so. Biscuits, that sort of thing. And yeah. when, when you start to realize, hey, I don't have a lot of sugar in my diet. Well, how many teas are you having a day or coffees? Oh, I have three or four coffees. Do you put sugar in your coffee? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, how many packets do you use? Oh, two. That adds up after a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then the last, which people don't realize, like gin and tonics are a massive beverage here. The amount of sugar in tonic is unhealthy, yep. period. And so you walk through the alcohol aisle between wine, between spirits, and between the tonics, it adds up. So you walk into a waitress, which I did about an hour ago, and it's absolutely mind-boggling as to the environment in which the selection you have to choose from. And there's a lot of miseducation when it comes to the back of the label, what is sugar, what is not sugar, what's a poly, et cetera. And it's, it's tough because you don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. As consumers in the UK or in the US or in Canada, wherever it is, it's, a, it's an interesting time. So to your question, yeah. do I agree with the sugar tax and, and how the government's trying to play a role in it? Absolutely. Anything uh, else better that could be done in your opinion? Have you, have you, I mean, you're so involved, immersed in it. I just wondered if there's anything in particular from your experience that you think could be more useful. But I, I mean, from what you're saying, yeah. to, to, to lead you that way to some extent, you obviously believe understanding the packaging is, is, is half the battle, the educational side. Sugar is the only item that doesn't have a daily recommended intake percentage on the label, which is going to change down the future. Sure. But I think holistically, it truly is about balance. It's not about removing alcohol together or sugar altogether or only cook with fresh vegetables and meats and fishes. Sometimes that's too expensive for families. Sometimes it's, it's not enough you know, from a convenience perspective. So it's really tough to achieve in this crazy world that we live in right now. But how do you find better balance? Right? How do you choose the right things more often? How do you just simply go for a walk? Get 10,000 steps in a day. That makes a huge difference as it pertains to obviously your health, but also your gut health and your, and your cravings. How do you drink more water? How do you get more fiber in your diet? All these simple things can be done without having to go to the extremes of 
I'm, I'm going to cut out sugar forever and that's it. I'm doing a keto diet for the next yeah. 16 weeks. Yeah, or, that, yeah. or I'm doing a HIIT workout for the next 16 weeks with a personal trainer. All those things are great, but there's some real fundamental basics that can be done to get you in a better spot. And also just no longevity to that really, is there? In the, in the sense of it, it's, it's uh, and I, I think it's very interesting. We were literally just talking about this uh, over lunch with, with the crew uh, because, because it does seem to me that small incremental changes and consistency is always going to have a longer lasting effect than, oh, I'll just stop for two, two months. And because it's, which, which is so interesting with your product, it's like humans don't really get that. Like yeah. our bodies don't react that way, which yeah. is why your product seems so interesting. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. For those who have families and kids that are listening to the, the podcast here, would you ever let your six-year-old do a keto diet? Hopefully the answer is no. Yeah, yeah, Across yeah. the board. Yeah, yeah. Now, why would you do it to yourself? Sure. Right? Think of the foods and the beverages that most parents shop for their kids. The, the scrutiny in which you look at the back of the label and the type of products you allow to live in the fridge. So it's almost care, care, care for yourself like you care for someone you really dig about. 100%. Why is there such a... Um, a massive gap between how we feed our families versus how we feed ourselves. And eventually it's just become about laziness after a while, right? Yeah, convenience is huge. Convenience is, is everything. And um, what just touching it, we were talking about obviously, obviously the same type of products you check on the back of a back of a label. Is there any particular ingredients that you think should, is just an absolute no-go you should avoid and people should check when they're looking at your biscuits, your cookies, your chocolates, that sort of thing? Is there stuff that really concerns you, knowing, the, knowing that sort of side of the ingredients so well? Uh, I'll say this. There's, there's definitely a lot of uh, what we call polysugars that exist in the UK mm -hmm. at a level that I've never seen before in both Canada and the US. So... So I, it's, it's, I can it's so surprising that we, our, our generalization would always be that America's the worst on this. Don't, don't you agree? Like it's, it's, it's it, just astounding that you say that. And I don't want to, I don't want to bash the U S culture, but, uh, it's been surprising because I, I come here probably almost every year um, to the UK and I feel like the last couple of years is taking an interesting turn. The culture here in Europe has definitely geared more towards self care than it ever has before, which is amazing, but it's a certain demographic and it's, and it's not a very specific demographic. I went to the store and picked up six protein bars because I'm doing some competitive research here in the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And every single UT, uh, protein bar has one gram of sugar in it. And you pick it up, it has 20 grams of protein, one gram of sugar, chocolate, double fudge, this and that. This is fantastic. This should be good for me, right? Look at the back of the label and there's 20 grams of poly sugars. Which, which, you, which you don't have in the US? We do. But not to the extent. But there's a, there's a better eye to it. There's a better awareness to polyols aren't good. And almost to the point where retailers, like a Whole Foods, for example, won't even list it, won't even distribute it. Wow. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a veil being pulled over shoppers' heads here, which is this protein bar, which tastes fantastic. It tastes like a Kit Kat bar. Sweet, delicious, chewy. But is it really good for you? Absolutely not. Putting 20 grams of a polyol sugar in your body is going to cause massive gut and health, gut health issues after a while. So that for me is kind of the biggest aha moment I've had in this last trip here. When you look at bars that are doing tens of million dollars in sales that live in all your grocery stores and consumers absolutely love it because it tastes fantastic, but it's not the greatest for you. Wow, I'm pretty shocked about that. <laughs> are, are you? I just think that's, I think that's mad. And um, are there any good sugars at all? Sugar is good in moderation. Like Can I, you believe I, that you don't? Because I've got to be 100%. honest, when you talk, I think I should never have sugar again. <laughs> like, literally, that's what I think. Again, 
I, I want to reiterate balance. Like life is about balance. If it's your birthday, have the cake. If it's a great date night with your partner, fine. But that have that, a that is a, a more attitude to life. I mean, what I would really try and pinpoint you on is: is there any good sugars? Like truly, like you, you get as like, much, like as type much, of sugar as as much as we know, alcohol's poison as such, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have the same? If you're really being honest with it, the same sort of feeling about sugar in general. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna put sugar in something, use there's a different philosophy as to like, would you rather use white table sugar versus a coconut sugar? Would you rather use this maple syrup versus a polyol like erythritol? Um, all those ingredients are used by manufacturers for specific reasons. They either help from a texture perspective, they help with the level of sweetness. There's type of new sweeteners that are being launched every single day that can be used in a very small amount that have a really high sweet factor like stevia or monk fruit. And so, the game is changing when it comes to the Pepsis, the Coca-Colas, the General Mills of the world, et cetera, as to how they're using sugar and sweeteners and products. To your question on, do I think there's a good sugar? Absolutely. Like, I, I think- Being, being uh, I guess, just what, natural sugars, I guess. Natural sugars, uh, and using it in moderation, right? And even that you think, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, you can have an endless amount of fruit. Do you think this, when, really, when you break it down, you need to be quite moderate even on, on your- I love fruit. And natural sugars. Fruit, go nuts. Yeah, really this is a bit of, this is not the right statement, but um, eating mangoes and pineapples and apples, et cetera, et cetera, don't necessarily lead to a high percentage of people becoming pre-diabetic or type two. Uh, what's great about fruits is the amount of other uh, incredible ingredients that live in that fruit, like fiber. Uh, we don't get enough fiber as a culture and globally. Um, in the US, I think 5% of Americans get their recommended intake of fiber on a daily basis. It's the most overlooked ingredient within our macros. Everyone's consumed with protein, protein, protein. And at one point you can't have, you're just protein yourself out. But fiber is incredible, especially from like a weight loss perspective. The more fiber you put in your body, the more full you're going to feel, which is going to add to satiety, which is not about reducing the number of snacks and meals you're going to have throughout. So the, the notion of, as we think about the foods we're consuming, sugars are absolutely fantastic. We always encourage as much fruit as possible. There's obviously some that are higher in sugar than others, like the mangoes and the pineapples of the world and sometimes oranges but they've got other great nutrient values to it as well. Um, through, through doing this, have you experimented with a lot of different diets? Because you seem like, so bal balanced now, but, but there's, I guess there's two parts to that. You've, have you experimented with a lot of different diets from veganism to keto? And, and, and now what's, your conclusion is obviously balanced. Like how do, how, what is the balance in, in your eyes? Are you, are you still quite, this is more personal, but I'm just interested to know, are you still quite sort of like quite heavily plant-based in general, but a bit of meat? Like what's what's your general perspective from, from everything you've seen in the, yeah. the whole sweet world and also the maybe diets you've experimented with? I only drink oat milk. You only drink oat milk, so no, no dairy at all. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. It's lived to extremes here. Um, yeah, I, I think- I, About a millisecond, I was like, okay, so uh, <laughs> where do we go with this one? I'm on a liquid diet specifically. Yeah, liquid diet, yeah. I think your, your diet has to be a personal choice based on the, the makeup of your body, both hereditary wise, but also like at what point at of age that you're at and how you're using your body. Meaning are you, are you running marathons? Are you a mum of two that's running around all day long and looking for additional energy? Like we all have, we are looking for different levels of energy source. Um, for me, my personal kind of nutrition right now is lots of plants, uh, lots of fruits, uh, fish all day long, red meat here and there, 
um, and that and tons of water. Yeah, and that tends to give you your best energy level. You're not, you're not a coffee guy, dairy, nothing. Yeah, I never grew up in a coffee household, so I was never around. And I had one terrible experience with coffee, and that put me off for, for the rest of my life. Do you, do you want to tell us about that? University, studying for exams, trying to stay awake drinking coffee, and, and just give me the jitters. Okay. That was it. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> do you... Um, just uh, this kind of just came to mind, but do you, you know, Tom Billy and Quest Nutrition? No. Oh, okay. It's a massive, massive. Is it Quest Nutrition? I feel that's right. Yeah, Quest, 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 Quest Nutrition. Yeah, yeah. Bars. yeah. Do, just out of interest, do do you think what they did was good? Because it, it was the mission of lowering sugar was a huge part of it, and obviously it's a it's a billion dollar company. Yeah. But I, I don't know the details about is there hidden sugars that are as bad are as bad, but they're just a different version of an ingredient so I just wondered if you knew much about that and, and how well they've done yeah I don't want to comment on a specific brand per se but brands like that that have launched a protein bar or a meal supplement bar uh, it's not all terrible and if you're if you're helping people switch from a Kit Kat that is really high in sugar that's no pretty much zero nutritional value to now getting some type of protein some type of fiber some type of and macros in your daily diet because you're on the go, then great. If you're eating a Quest bar for every single meal of the day for 365 days of the year, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. Um, but again, I am not the registered nutrition or dietitian at all. This well, is I, think, a, I think we're going to make your word gospel by the end of this. I, I'm, I'm very afraid <laughs> of this right now. <laughs> Are you looking to uh, move beyond the products you're creating now? Do you have stuff in the pipeline that you'd even be willing to talk about? And I guess... The secondary parts of that, if you do, are willing to elaborate, is what's your sort of three to five year plan moving forward? Yeah, uh, innovation is absolutely part of our roadmap for, um, for sure. I think as we think of helping people in their everyday lives uh, feel better with themselves and cut back sugar, it's not just about retracting, i.e., a sugar control mint and a body balance powder, in which is a finite experience in 14 days. How do we help support people 12 months of the year? So how do we help give them better choices that have a very clear label that support their journey of a low sugar lifestyle? And we're really excited about what that means, whether it's in beverage form, whether it's in food form, whether that's just in technology form, um, all ways in which people are looking to have self-improvement. And whether you're the kind of like of our audience, whether you're the 30 year old who lives in New York, she does soul cycle, she eats at whole food, she's healthy. She's also human and she has cravings once in a while and we want to support her, her human performance side of her, of her journey. Or if it's that mom of two who lives maybe somewhere in the Midwest and we're in which she's looking at sugar from a weight loss perspective. Those ice cream barrels I'm finishing after every dinner is getting in the way of my weight loss goals. Um, or if it's probably something a little close to me where you're in the mid forties and your doctor has just said, Hey, we need a timeout from a nutrition perspective. You're on the verge of being pre-diabetic and we need to make a shift in what your diet looks like. We're looking at products that can help support all three of those different audiences all towards this goal of helping them live a lower sugar lifestyle. So you really, I guess it goes without saying, but you really want to impact people's lives and, and really, I guess, elevate your impact on them as opposed to, I'm not playing it down, but just a sub, uh, 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 
what's the word appetite suppressor you, there's much more to the bigger picture of impacting people's lives yeah this is not telling this is not about telling people to eat less mm. that's not what our mission and our journey was it's about moving forward in a positive manner not only as an individual yourself but we're actually even more concerned about the next generation um so if myself and or many of my friends who have children right now they're watching a generation eat more at fast food restaurants than ever before um, go down the chip and the snack in the pop aisle more than ever before than my parents did. And so now we have a whole collection of audience that Gen Z and younger, they're looking at parents shopping behaviors like I never experienced with my parents, sure. maybe not your, with yours either, yeah. and thinking that's normal. And that's a huge problem because if we have a massive audience of folks that are overweight and pre-diabetic now, it's going to double, if not triple, as we get into the future. Do you, do you not think, though, that at the same time, we're the most aware of, of holistic health and fitness at the same time? So that Because that, that kind of gives me confidence. But then I hear a lot of the stats suggest that that's become fairly irrelevant. There's a, it depends on which country and culture that we're talking about. But um, the underlying current a little bit around this is the economic impact and the social economic impact of our societies. A lot of our diet and nutrition, unfortunately, is driven by what you can afford. Yeah, agreed. Right? And so there's a reason why some fast food restaurants are having record quarter after quarter results. Because when you offer a $5 meal for your family, you can't buy that in a grocery store. This is what I always think. I think that all the time. It's, it's sometimes more expensive to cook, have home-cooked food, which was not the case 20 years ago. So as a consumer right now, I always believe in brands that win check off three things. I call it QCC, quality, convenience, cost. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are the three factors today more than ever that really matter for, for mom, for dad, even for the next generation. Is it a quality product? Do I trust it in some way or some fashion? Is it easy for me to do? And is it not gonna break the bank for me? And if you can check all those things off, then you're gonna win. You're gonna get some market share some way, somehow, right? And that's a little bit of a reflection of what's happening in the grocery stores here in the UK. Quality, what brand created this fast pop into the oven, microwave, ready to serve product? It doesn't cost too much. I can do it in a heartbeat, right? How's COVID been? As good as COVID can get, I guess. It affects the sales dramatically or I guess it's, it's a- Fascinating. Uh, March hits and as the world is, especially America, freaking out that uh, toilet paper is going to run dry and we're going under a bunker for 60 days uh, as people are running to grocery stores hoarding everything off the shelf cutting back sugar was not top of mind no. so uh, March and April were, were tough and we had to lean unfortunately down our business a little bit um, lay off some folks and just kind of reprioritize what we're doing all of a sudden May, June, July roll around and as people have been sitting at home for 60, 70 days and they've added the COVID-19 pounds to their frame, then all of a sudden self-care um, pops back up. Is, does your product have a bit of a seasonal uh, cycle to it yeah. regards to sales? Yeah. Which is generally? Uh, Q1, January, February, March, absolutely. Kind of new year, new you, um, weight loss and resolutions are top of mind. Uh, but ironically, the biggest season for us is just before summer. Okay. Well, so yeah. you make, you make, summer body. You make resolutions in, the, in January, yeah. you don't do anything about it, and yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm supposed to go to Wherever. Sardinia this summer, yeah. March, okay, let's get, let's get to this. And so we see a huge jump kind of just before summer. Um, how long has your business been going? 
We've been at this now for almost three years. Okay. So we launched last August. Sure. Uh, about two years of R&D and clinical trials and market research prior to. And uh, sorry, we have a dog here, by the way. <laughs> if, if people ever see us going like, why, why are they staring at me? Sorry, carry on, carry on. Yeah, I know. And so, yeah, we've just kind of passed our, our first uh, one-year anniversary. Okay. Um, a Congratulations. Crazy, a crazy happy first year. Happy, happy anniversary. I feel like we've been it, wearing a helmet this entire time. <laughs> where, um, where are you based? Based at LA? We're right? based in LA, yeah. Um, we're in the UK. So, what's the plan for the UK or, or the wider world in general? Yeah, we. So ironically enough, the UK is our third highest traffic source on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that's because of um, my business partner, Harley, and kind of the, I guess, credibility he has in the European market. But there's a bit of an aha moment as to, okay, let's start to investigate the UK. Is there something here for us? So I've been here for the last few months trying to understand and meet some retailers, distributors, uh, find out is this a market that we should press live for for next year? So it's been uh, it's been an interesting few months for sure. Any other sort of truths you can uncover for us apart from the fact that apparently half the products are complete lies and they've got way, <laughs> they've got way more crap in them than anything else? Like like what like what are the other I guess elements of the UK and European market that that surprised you beyond what we talked a bit about certain ingredients? Yeah, I think what's happening in Europe overall, and a little bit that's because of COVID, and we see the same thing in North America is. Uh, e-commerce is obviously massive. It's yeah. bigger than it's ever been before. And the hesitation that certain demographics and cultures had to e-commerce have now gone away out of necessity. And so you're more comfortable shopping on Amazon. You're yep. more comfortable shopping on a Shopify site. Uh, you understand the behavior of 3PLs and shipping. And so that's encouraging. Um, retail isn't dead here. I think retail's alive and well for the most part here in the UK. And that's great to see. The, and I think for me, as I look at any market, whether we're looking at Canada or Australia, New Zealand and the UK, it's all about understanding some of the macro issues. Like where are we at from a health perspective, from a diabetic perspective, um, from a what lives on the shelf perspective? And are some of these trends that we see in the US similar to these other countries? And who is our consumer? Is, it, is our consumer in the US the same consumer here in the UK? Or is he or she different? What are their need sets? And understanding that, so we're doing a lot of focus groups here in the UK with different audiences to understand, do you have the same problems that we're seeing in the US? Where are you shopping? What are your cravings? How can we help you? Is this of interest? What are you willing to pay for it? And so before we can press go on any market because of the investment needed in changing packaging and marketing, et cetera, we really need to understand, can we help people here? And is there a true interest in it? Those things line up, then it becomes an investment strategy at that point. from what you've seen so far, is there a considerable holistic interest here across the UK and Europe? And I, I know that's quite a broad statement, but my assumption would be that in the US, especially obviously your obvious sort of assumption about the West Coast, that particularly into holistic health and elements of gut health and all these sort of things, you've seen quite a yeah. growth in that market within the UK and Europe in yeah. general. Well, ironically enough, the head of our R&D is, uh, lives in London. Okay. And so he's a little bit of our eyes and ears on the ground through this entire process. And the, the self-care dietary supplement, supplement space is on fire here. Um, there's definitely been an uptick in a sense of looking at what you need to put in your body in a different lens than ever before. And so we're riding a little bit of that wave, I think, as we go into next year, especially as topics like immunity are so pertinent right now, vitamin D and zinc and magnesium, all things that help support your 
the functioning of your body and your immune system and all things that help to support what it is trying to trying to fight off, whether it be it's COVID or other viruses and bacteria. So sugar is a big part of that as well. Um, if you have a defeated immune system, it's probably because of what you're putting in your body in some manner or from form and sugar is a big part of that as well. So we're, we're excited about what the UK potentially looks like. Um, size of market is obviously a big, big tackle for us in regards to making sure we make the right investments in a market that have enough upside for us. So we have some work to do still on investigating that. And, and would the approach, do you reckon, be more going to sort of organic holistic stores and then and then filter downwards, or would it would it be just hit a big supermarket straight away? Uh, E-commerce first. Yeah, so yeah. Just, just keep driving that traffic till you get a level that is recognizable within stores. Yeah, we, we want to, the easiest road to market, uh, avoiding listing fees and trying to sell into a retailer, is let's build the brand first. Uh, let's make zero friction in between ourselves and the consumer. Um, let, let them discover us through word of mouth, through paid social ads on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, let's do a, a whole bunch of sampling, get people to try it and, tr and taste it for the first time. We have this aha moment that happens, and I wish I had product here for you guys, but essentially... Sean, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not impressed. I know, you're, I know you're disappointed. Uh, our sampling experience is interesting. Like, I have you try the mint, and the first thing I do when you're done consuming it is i have you just tried table sugar we will do a second podcast just to do this 100 yeah. percent. Uh, and table sugar tastes like sand and then i give you a cola and you drink the cola and it tastes terrible and the third thing is i give you chocolate and i just ruined chocolate for you and i've done this basically taste test a thousand times whether it's investors or retailers and if you have a, uh, a craving with sugar or chocolate you get it and it's the most powerful tool like i, I believe in experiential marketing holistically and that in itself is the most powerful experiential moment someone can have with your product you're a believer right from the get-go and you're going to probably tell five other people tonight about yep. what you just did yeah word of mouth is everything exactly solidifies your 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 product in in the u.s are you, how how's distribution going and is it mainly e-commerce have you got quite a lot of stores going on what's what's the general situation there? yeah we, we're 100 e-commerce right now so we've decided not to go on amazon kind of keep to our own dot com uh, we want to be able to focus on owning the data, building a relationship with our customer base, uh, being able to share with them and build a community, which obviously you lose in kind of that Amazon structure. And uh, the goal for next year is about retail. We want to focus on an omni-channel strategy. So wholesalers, retailers, our.com, and, and really focus on the right distribution points. Like where is our customer and our consumer uh, gathering content, information, buying other products? And our, is our brand in a great like-minded scenario with some of those other marketplaces? And if it is, we want to be there. What's your most successful e-commerce platform at the moment? And what I mean by that is, are you doing better? Out, if you don't mind me asking, yeah, doing better out of the reason why I say that is because I would assume the whole Instagram fitness thing really aligns with what you're doing. Is that, does that tend to be the case, yeah. or, or is there is there a bigger spread, or could you maybe fill us in a bit on how, how that's working? What's the spread? What's the demographics? Where where you're really succeeding? Yeah, paid social. So Instagram and Facebook is our biggest channel. It's where we spend the most money mm -hmm. uh, as of right now. Um, I would say Harley and kind of earned media is our second biggest channel. Yeah. Uh, because of Harley's background, um, master's in nutritional science, his client base, but also his authentic origin story. We've been a trusted expert, but well versed in the field, that sort of thing. Exactly. We've yeah. been able to 
leverage our story within his channels, his Instagram channel and his Facebook channels. But we've also been able to get him in front of the right microphones and cameras um, and, and kind of visit the right publications to create the right story and narrative. I'm a huge believer in brand narrative. If I totally agree. I think especially nowadays, it's half the reason why I think a lot of people are interested in doing elements of, of podcasting because you can educate people about your brand through your own through your own narrative and that and that's everything. Yeah. Um, do you I was just touching on the whole sort of marketing aspect in e-commerce. I I know some of the younger generations who I've spoken to who are maybe sort of like social media marketing experts. They don't really see much room for anything else. Through your the few years that you've experimented, do you, do you really think it's pretty much the only route nowadays, i.e. e-commerce, social media marketing, or do you think there's still room from what you've learned in, should we say, more conventional marketing marketing tools like your you know your TV ads or uh, magazines or whatever it may be? It depends on where you're at as a brand and its lifestyle. So, as background, I come from the agency world. Uh, I ran an agency for 15 years. We focused on type of agency, sorry. experiential and content agency. Fun, fun, fun. So, and as a Bush, Nike, Microsoft, Samsung, Coca-Cola were our big clients, mm -hmm. um, 200 plus person agency. And we lived in what they call traditionally below the line uh, as an agency when there was a line, which doesn't exist anymore because it's, it's a blurred. But below the line system. meaning what, sorry? So above the line in the traditional marketing and advertising world was Print at a home TV. Fine, I see what saying. Yeah. And then all these things started to pop up like content, experiential, um, SEO, etc. that became below the line. And so way back when you were an agency that was either above the line agency or below the line agency. We were a below the line agency. We believed that um, because of things like Netflix and because of cord cutting that was happening. You're going to be gathering information in different ways rather than just watching a 30 second or 15 second commercial on TV. And it wasn't an or, it was an and. And that shift that happened last two decades or so has been paramount in helping brands like ourselves and others have a fighting chance. Could I ever afford a 15 second commercial or 30 second commercial on BBC? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But can I go and afford a, a quick ad on Facebook and Instagram targeted to a very specific community? Absolutely, it only cost me a dollar. And so it gave a whole bunch of brands on the startup level a fighting chance to drive and build an audience, to sell a product, to A-B test. And that's been really the massive shift as to why you're seeing this fragmentation of brands. Yes, there's the po po uh, Cokes and Pepsis of the world, but there's a whole bunch of other challenger brands and most of them aren't gonna unfortunately survive it. They can at least build a business because now you have a channel that's a little more uh, democratic than necessarily the TV kind of commercials. So, so you you do really see it as, as the, I guess the future, and it's to balance the books a little bit in regards to, like you said, the difference in, in major brands and monopolies, and you need to get a chance to edge edge your way in there. Yeah, I don't think it's the future. Like it's it's it is it it's is now been really there right? and kind of gone. I, yeah, I think what we're seeing right now in in the paid social world is. Uh, CPMs are on the rise. It's becoming more and more expensive to play that game. And a lot of startups who raise capital from VCs or from angels are using 60, 70, 80% of their capital in this one channel uh, without the right return on, ad, return on ad spend, the right ROAS, the right ROI. And for years, you've just got brands pumping media or pumping money into these channels, not being profitable on the back end hoping for a golden parachute from some big conglomerate to come and buy them yeah. at whatever multiple it was. So 
where I'm going with this is the game got ugly very quickly because the game was so easy. It was so easy to put a stagnant photo and or video together, put it on Facebook and Instagram, build a community, build a channel and sell product. And no one worried about profitability. And that's what Facebook and Instagram has been doing for the last few years. Now it's becoming so expensive. Money has dried up a little bit on the VC side. And through all of that, now you're starting to have to like be crafty. Like how am I finding that new customer other than Facebook and Instagram? Am I doing sampling? Am I doing direct mail? Can I afford a 15 second commercial? Are we doing influencer? Like you truly need to have a diversified marketing strategy. Uh, otherwise, it's a very, very expensive game to play if you're just relying on that one channel and paying, writing a check to Mark Zuckerberg every month is not a very nice thing to do. <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky Mark Zuckerberg. Um, is this, I was just thinking about this when you mentioned about big sort of conglomerates taking over and, and buying and sort of having such a big share in the market. For you, is this is this sort of legacy business or, or if you don't mind me asking at least yeah. this question, is it is it really a legacy business or is it a potential set at one point? I think truly to tell right now, like being 14 months old, yep. we don't really know what we have just yet. We know what we're not. And I think in any business and even individual, I think as you grow and develop, identifying the things you don't want to be or the things that you can't be or the things that you don't have the license to be, I think is a really important exercise as a CEO and founder. Uh, who we can be in the future, it's kind of exciting. It, there's a lot of unknown there. And I think the key around is being open-minded to all the scenarios. Yeah, right? yeah, hundred percent. Do you, do you, are you where you expect it to be right now? I know it's early days, but I just, I always, it's so interesting because just to sort of elaborate on that question a bit, I think a lot of people, it touches on two points really. I'm interested just for your personal journey, but also a lot of people, when they start a business, they get very rigid and they, they're almost perfectionist with what they feel should happen over yeah. a certain amount of time and, and, and a particular route. So are you where you expect it to be? And what's, what's your sort of thoughts on that in general? Absolutely not. If, if someone comes in front of any microphone and says, this is exactly what I planned, especially during this past year, yeah. they're full of shit. Yeah. Pardon my French. <laughs> it's okay. We're in Europe. <laughs> and so I think part of entrepreneurship is just being nimble. Like you've got to be able to pivot at any point in time make tough choices, look for opportunities, uh, because you're either on the positive side or on the back end. Like it's, it's been a tough year for everyone and there's been a, not a lot of gray area. You either have businesses that every day are crushing sales numbers because they happen to be office furniture and everyone's not working from home and you can't make desks and chairs fast enough. But did you predict that before you bid your plan in 2019? Absolutely not. Or you're a fashion brand. And now no one's really buying work shirts anymore because people aren't going to work. So you don't need new collar shirts and you're about to close your doors in six months and everyone that lives in between that kind of spectrum. And so for us, we've redone our plan. No word of a lie, probably 25 times. Okay. High, low, yeah, yeah. stay as, pivot here. Our plan and our PL is all over the map uh, because we can't, we can't predict the future. We now we have to have some guardrails as to where do we think and we have to place some bets on some stuff. But the entire team from our finance to our supply chain to marketing to me as a CEO have to be everyday monitoring like what's happening, what's what's going on right now and look and look for and understand patterns. And the pattern 
identification is critical as we think about the what's working. Great. Did we see this before? If so, how did it work? Where did it fall down? How do we optimize? And going through all those scenarios as a team is mission critical to take advantage of Windows, right? How do you stop the leaky bucket during Windows in which it's March for us and business is not going very well? Or it's June and everyone's looking for weight loss and how do we take advantage of the situation and everything in between, right? Yeah, just you, you get me thinking. Um, are you passionate about health, would you say? Yeah. Is that, is that um, grown through this business or were you there already, would you say? I mean, it naturally would have grown. That's, that, that's probably not the best way to express it. But did you, do you feel for many a reasons you went towards this type of product because you were passionate about it before? I've definitely have grown a, a passion into this space. Absolutely. I think we, in our 20s, we're invincible. We can eat whatever we want. We can drink whatever we want. We're not really gaining too much weight. That's right. literally the phrase I use. I always say, <laughs> you think you're invincible, then you all of, all of a sudden have this moment. Where you're like, oh, no. No, it's, it's not a moment. It's called the 30s. Yeah, 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 yeah. 30th birthday. And yeah. on that point on, then all of a sudden things get slower. Hangovers happen. That, Tell me about that, Tell me about that pizza you, you ordered on a bit away. You put a bit away for sure. 100%. And so for me, it's, it's, I become passionate for a couple of reasons. One is my parents. Uh, as they get older, I realize how important health is as, as we age. Uh, and, and that affects not only what we're doing physically, the importance of just getting out for a walk and doing things, but also what we're putting into our body um, from a food perspective. And I think for me as an entrepreneur, like there's no off button, as you know, it's seven days a week. It's 24, 24 hours a day. And if you're, it's like a terrible analogy. It's like a F1 car. You're an F1 car. If you're putting bad petrol into your F1 car. I am an F1 car. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just have to go with that. Go carry on. So how is Hamilton supposed to take you and, and, and win the victory, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in simple terms, bad, bad fuel equals bad output. Exactly. And so I've noticed a massive difference when I'm starting to pay attention to my personal health as it relates to how I can perform every day in the business. Because other people's livelihood, salaries, jobs, et cetera, rely on, rely on me, rely on you, rely on people that are taking chances to build businesses. So I've, I've become an advocate and a huge, uh, a huge believer in the importance of health. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I have as well. I mean, in part, why we're even doing this is, like I said to you before we recorded, is 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 any sort of educational or insightful conversation that might lead to good habits, positive habits that we know as we get older, especially that make such a contribution to who you are, your efficiency as a human being. Yeah. Especially if you want to achieve anything, especially if you want to be great. So, great's made the wrong term, but do something with your life that is effective. It uh, the the fitness side, the holistic side, what you put in your body is 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 so 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 important and it like you said it's so fascinating that you and it's so many people have gone through this which is why i hope when people listen to this they find it relatable is you do spend at least for me at least until my mid-20s thinking i'm i'm cool i'm absolutely fine life's good yeah life's good exactly life's good. and then also you have that mix between that and sort of i guess that morbid reality and that for me was the point i was like okay so this i'm uh, Bit, bit too more, but I am going to die at one point, so let's try and keep the longevity as long as possible. You haven't gone to that dark side yet. Oh, well, I you're, you're I'm, a, a, different I'm a bit crazy. It's crazy here <laughs> in Babylonia. But, but do you know what I mean by morbid reality yeah. that's maybe not the, 
the, the best way to express it, but you definitely have these moments and then I try to understand the contributing factors, which is why for me, I'm also so passionate about health. Yeah. And turning 30 recently as well it's like oh yeah you, you know you can't you can't do this forever so i i'll tell you a story so i tore my achilles playing basketball uh 30 days into moving to los angeles and for someone who played in in uni and had never been injured my entire life and career that was the biggest aha moment of all time because all of a sudden when you take something physically away from you you can't walk and you start to realize how important nutrition is and I, I gained the Achilles 20 or 30 or whatever it was um, because I'm ordering food. I can't cook for myself. I'm emotionally eating. Yeah, you're there's, not, there's a big emotion there, yeah. You're not moving around like you used to. And coming on the back end of it, you're like realizing, okay, like this stuck. Like I'm not invincible anymore. Mm. Things have got to change a little bit. And that was a little bit of the aha moment in regards to the importance of just looking at what's in the fridge, right? And again, it's not, I think everyone has different aha moments, whether you're a, a new mom and you're realizing everything that's being put into my body, whether you're breastfeeding or the products you're buying at grocery stores or what your kids are eating as well. Everyone has like that nutritional aha moment that comes to them at one point in time that starts to shift their patterns of behaviors. And I always encourage people to have it earlier than later. Um, it, it's a, it's an easier transition in your 30s than it is in your 40s or 50s. Well, yeah, positive habits. And like you said, we talk about small incremental uh, consistent decisions. Yeah. Um, that, that's so important. If you can establish that in your 20s, it's, it's, it's an easy ride, so yeah. to speak. You talked, well, you sort of mentioned a few times um, diabetes. I guess, have you looked in, into diabetes a lot, experimenting with this brand? And I've heard a lot of theory about if you pretty much cut out sugar from quite a young age, you'll, you'll dramatically, dramatically... Uh, less likely to to uh, get diabetes. Do you agree with that sort of statement from what you've, what you've seen? And I'm not asking you to make, make some sort of broad medical statement, but what's it seems to be a, a touch of your interest, diabetes, I think. Yeah, it's about, it's about insulin levels, right? And so there's a straight correlation, insulin levels to sugar, whether it's added sugar or, or natural sugars, et cetera. And if you're consuming high sugar foods and beverages at a young age, there's a higher chance of developing prediabetes and type two diabetes as you get older. Mm -hmm. Fact. Um, we're, we're seeing the residual effect now of like the last two decades and the rise of the colas and the fast foods, et cetera. And it's only gonna get worse. So for, for us, uh, the diabetic community is absolutely part of our audience. Um, how we talk to a type two diabetic is a little different than how we talk to a pre-diabetic community. And for us, it's, it's about a tool within their toolbox. I think that's a really important thing as we think of our lives. We all have a number of tools in our toolbox as to how we want to live our journey. And, and you mean that sort of preventative intention really? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and so if we're a tool in that individual who's just been diagnosed as a pre-diabetic, to help them with their craving moments throughout the day, amongst other things that they are doing, those other tools, awesome. Like that's exactly where we wanna be. We don't want, we are never gonna be the thing. If you're looking to lose 50 pounds, Sweet Kick isn't gonna be the only reason you're losing 50 pounds. Like no product can theoretically make that claim that unless you're drinking something diet, diuretic every single day, three times a day. And, and so it's all about how are all the tools adding up with each other to help with your North Star. If your North Star is about 
let's balance our blood sugar levels and insulin levels because I don't want to get to the type two level, then great. We want to be one of those tools. And that's a, just a really important strategy for us and yeah. think about how we be a part of someone's lives. And, and like you said, sort of make that point of you're not proclaiming to be the, the absolute only answer, but the, but the tool, especially in the diabetic realm. Well, and that's, you start to now get into disease related claims yeah. and that now is a pharmaceutical product that's adhered to with clinicals approved by the FDA in the US. That's a different game altogether than the world that we live in, which is a nutraceutical game. And they're, they're two different worlds. I was going to ask you something on pharmaceuticals, but it's too dramatic. Um, <laughs> uh, what's your biggest fear? I feel like I'm on a dating show right now. You, you are. You are. We will promote you like a motherfucker. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Because you obviously got deep concerns with you know, societal health, but I mean, does it extend, is there an extension of that or is there something more specific to you? Um, that question today and this year is a much different answer than it was 12 months ago. Uh, what keeps me up at night right now is, is happiness. Uh, for for myself, but also like family, I think hopefully all of us have been had, had a chance to reconnect with <clears throat> friends and family, coworkers during this crazy times. And for me, I spent four months back in Canada during the middle of COVID and reconnecting with everyone. It was incredible. And you realize the people that really matter in your life right now, that circle should be a very tight circle. And as I think about like what keeps me up is are my parents happy? Are they healthy? How are my sisters doing? One in New Zealand, one in Toronto. Uh, is my team happy in the work that they're doing? Uh, am I finding joy every day waking up doing what I'm doing? Because if you don't, why are we doing this? Um, so those are the things as deep and philosophical as they sound. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> this is what Babylon is about. It's, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So when I graduated university, uh, I took a marketing, I had a marketing and finance degree. I worked at an agency for my internship but I went for the money after graduation. So I was in finance uh, with a big bank in Canada. And I thought, this is my dream job. I'm making six figures. I've made it, mom and dad, this is amazing. I hated my life. I hated the people I worked with. I hate the job that I, that I was doing. I hate the hours, I hated everything about it. And it took me eight months until I realized, okay, am I, gonna, am I fighting through this? Am I gonna hate my life every single day? I was miserable. Or I'm gonna say, fuck it. Like I'm done. And so I quit uh, after eight months. Parents were freaking out. Can't believe you just quit your job. Friends couldn't understand why. And it just goes back to the, like the notion of, of how important happiness is for each individual. If you hate your job, I get it. It's hard to quit. Your, your family has to pay for, you've got a car payment, whatever it might be. But we work so much during the week of our, of our breathing hours of the day. Why stay there? It's a tough question. No, 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 no. I, I'm with you. I mean, yeah. the main reason why I'm doing this is because of that. Yeah. The, it, it's, the only difference is it probably took me eight years as opposed to eight months like you. Um, and a bit cliche maybe, but I remember watching a speech on YouTube where Jim Carrey said, um, essentially, you might, I can't remember the full phrase, but it was essentially you might as well go and do what you love because you know, it's, it's, your, it's your life and you, and you might as well get on with it. There's no point of pursuing anything that you don't really care about it's not you're not going to get anything out of it and and then you start to look at that world and start to understand understand your you know your why's which is i know it's a big thing simon Sinek and those what people talk about and it's so 
it resonates with me so much. It's, it's, it's amazing you say that. And it kind of makes me think the sort of second question I wanted to ask you about that is, is what's the biggest human enjoyment you get out of entrepreneurship? Building things. <clears throat> Building things that 90% of it's going to fail. It's going to turn out wrong. It's not going to work the way you want it to work. But when the 10% do work, it's a drug. Like for me, anyways. Like, Sorry, I just remember the quote from Jim Carrey. What is it? <laughs> it's, it's, you, can, you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well do what you love. And, that, and that's kind of, you reminded me of that. 100%. And so when we look at why, are, like, what are we doing every day with our lives? We're spending the time with the family, hopefully. We're doing something with purpose. If you don't wake up every morning with some type of purpose, then you feel like you're floating around. And for me, I had that moment a couple of times in my career where I couldn't get the purpose anymore out of that job because I had done it. There was, one, there was no more of a challenge for me. And when all of a sudden you have, you're purposeless, you feel like you're floating and it feels very uneasy for a lot of individuals. Well, it's that stagnation feeling, isn't it? I think stagnation is literally the key to depression. It, it gets you there. Exactly. And so continue to like push forward in life, not just career-wise, but like interest-wise. Like, do you love painting? Do you love playing sports? Do you love coaching? Do you love to travel? Like all those things are purpose-driven and finding them constantly and challenging yourself, I think is a really important development tool for all of us. Like I, I, I push my sisters and friends in my life to, listen, I know the job isn't great, but like what's the other thing in life that you could be doing that you love, that you're finding purpose behind? And that shift in attitude, that shift in energy, that shift in uh, growth is night and day. And it's so important. Like that's, I think one of the biggest things I've taken away in the last, we'll call it five years of entrepreneurship now is every day is a new challenge. Every day I find a new purpose. Uh, it might not be the right purpose. I have to retarget myself. But uh, at no point in time during the last five years have I felt like I have had a job. And for me and who I am personality-wise. You can hand on heart say that. A hundred percent. And I loved, I was at an agency for 15 years. Mm -hmm. No one's at an agency for 15 years. I loved what I did before. This at no point has ever felt like a job because I felt like <clears throat> I'm building something that has purpose behind it, that is helping others. And I'm constantly feeling like I'm either the dumbest person in the room or I'm constantly learning. And I'm addicted to being the dumbest person in the room. It's a, it's a fault of mine. Like I want to be challenged. I want to learn. I want to ask a thousand questions and not everyone's comfortable in that situation. But for me, like, that's what I love doing. I love getting on calls, learning about paid social, having no idea how to do it, asking a thousand questions. And then hopefully nine months later, I think I got it. I'm going to fail a bunch of times, but I think I got it. And that's like entrepreneurship 101. If that drug isn't for you, then not everyone's a number one. Right? You're maybe an amazing number two or number three or number four in a company. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But the number ones want to fail. The number ones keep on redefining their purpose. The number ones find challenge in being the dumbest person in the room. And it's just a different breed. Uh, and I've, I've realized, because I've questioned, am I a two? Am I a three? I think you... For me right now, I know... You're I'm number one, Sean. I, <laughs> <laughs> I believe you're number one. And I think we all go through times in our lives in which we are potentially number ones. But as we get older, we realize we're not ones anymore. We're great number threes. Yeah. Because we're just lending experience to others that have a different gear than us. You feel you definitely, it's your time to be 
number one at the moment. And then we all go through windows at personal times, yeah. Do you, uh, do you believe that only where you can succeed is, by, is via failure? Yes. In short. In short. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Every, literally, almost every entrepreneur I've spoken to says that. It's, it's so interesting and it's so good that people say that because without a doubt, up until you're 20 years old, you think you've got no, failure is the, if not way older, is, is not an option. Getting, giving everyone a participation ribbon in, young, in school or we call elementary school is the worst thing for a, a human psyche of all time. Yeah how, can you, yeah, how can you strive to do anything if that's, if that's what you know? Everyone did it together. This is amazing. It's true. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, like uh, another quote of the day is um, Denzel Washington said, the biggest threat to progress is, is, is ease. Yeah. It's, like, it's so true. It's like so on the money. Like, you've got no chance if you don't feel like your back's, back's against the wall or you just, you're cool either way. Feeling like you scraped your knees, feeling like you came in last place, feeling like you lost the game. <clears throat> those are all chapters in your personal book that you have to have. Like, I've lost in national finals games. I've failed a course. I've been terrible at a sport. Like all those things have to happen for you to realize that you need to work your ass off to get better at something if you want to win. And getting a participation ribbon doesn't teach you any of those psychologically, but also behaviorally. And in this game of like entrepreneurship, you have to fail and you have to be comfortable with the failure. More importantly, you have to fail fast and learn even faster. And failure becomes just part of the, it's part of the DNA now. It's like, great, that ad didn't work. Great, that product failed, no one liked it. Great, this trip to the UK didn't uh, come about what we wanted it to come. Those things are perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, what's your favorite podcast apart from this one? <laughs> well, that's a tough question. <laughs> Uh, I was saying before, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you elaborate on, on why? I think what Joe's done a good job is, I think with podcasts, there's two things I think are really important. One is a wide range of topics that are selfless to help educate others. Joe's not really interested. He is, but he's not, it's not a self-serving podcast. What he's doing is he's bringing together a bunch of subject matter experts to help educate the world on topics that people are even tuning out on or have misinformation on. And whether it's psychedelics. That, that exposure, psych exposure is essential, you think? Yeah, I think whether, like, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's a political conversation, whether it's his last podcast with Kanye and what people perceive who Kanye is, better or for worse, to... Uh, Simple things like just comedy. Like how do you how do you scrap your way to get into the comedy store in Los Angeles? And I think he does an incredible job in just being a very open-minded moderator that brings the best out of his guests. So and, and, and no agenda, I guess. Yeah, with no with no agenda. Yeah, we're we're definitely trying to do that here. Um favorite book? Shataram. Shata? Shataram. I have no idea what that is. You do. Do I? Yeah. Okay. Could, could you elaborate on it for our audience that don't know, and myself? <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to give you the prefix of it. I think everyone needs to read it at least twice in their life. The first time you'll become, uh, you might feel like you're over your skis a little bit, as we say. Um, the story is fascinating. The story is relevant for today. 
Um, the story. Are you sure I know this? Sorry it's to cut you off. It's a red cover with like. Okay, yeah, I think I think I do. I so, sorry, I just sorry, I, I was like, I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> no, no, we're gonna put on the camera how yeah. fucking dumb I am, no, 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 but because I'm, sure I'm, I'm into those sort of books. Anyway, yeah, sorry, so, sorry, carry on. My gift to you, I will be sending you that book. Thank you, okay. and a, and a few sweet kicks, please. And a few sweet kicks. Favorite movie. Favorite movie. Ooh, this is an impossible question. Um, Top three. The Godfathers. The Godfathers. Really? No, not all three. Sorry, Godfather, Godfather number one. Because one of them pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the one shouldn't have not been made. Uh, the first Godfather. Um, yeah, it's the first Godfather. Okay. Final question: uh, Do you idolize anyone? My dad. Why? He came over from Ireland to Canada when he was eighteen by himself. Family is still over there. Um, by trade, he was a butcher. Started working in a grocery store in Canada. And eventually, by the time he retired, he owned six grocery stores. And just the definition of, of uh, a man with values, who outworked everybody, who came from nothing, and I think did a great job in just raising a family. And uh, yeah, I think for me, he's the uh, he's the epitome of I think what's been lost in a lot of people today, which is grit, determination, hundred yeah. percent. Like that immigrant mentality, uh, and it was very prominent in Canada growing up because there's a lot of immigrants that came to Toronto and to Montreal. But it's it's a lost art in a lot of ways. So yeah, Tommy Byrne, shout out Tommy Byrne, shout out to Tommy <laughs> Byrne. Um, okay, amazing man. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, Babylonian Media Entrepreneurs Experience episode seven. Hope you had a good time. Thank you, sir.